Hi, I'm Kenzie. And I'm Emily. And this is The Claw Crypt. Crack open a cold one with us. While we discuss everything true crime, mysteries, conspiracies, and much more. Okay, so we're going to talk about Mary Fagan. Round two at trying this episode. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully the audio sounds a lot better this time. Well, considering we're not sick as fuck, <laughs> yeah. like we were when we tried to record it in the first place, we should be fine. And my dogs aren't jingling around everywhere. I love them to death, but they are attention whores. Okay, so this story is set back in like 1913-ish. So, there's going to be talk about, like, colored bathrooms and stuff like that. Just a heads up. <laughs> it gets a the little time, racist. Yeah, it's the time era. <laughs> well, you never know who's going to be offended over it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. On April 27th, 1913, Night Watchman is what his job title was, um, his name was Newt Lee. He was doing his usual nightly Newt. duties in the pencil factory, which we'll get into in a second. Um, he went to the basement um, where the colored bathrooms works. He had to clean those. And uh, he discovered the body of a 13-year-old girl named Mary Faggot. <sighs> yeah, this one's like a roller coaster and lots of like plot twists and like it, it gets very mindfuckery. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 100%. Because, like, as you're reading it, I'm remembering it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Mary was born June 1st, nine, or 1899, in Florence, Alabama. That's a long time ago. Yeah. That's over a thousand years ago. No. Yeah, 1899. 1999, that's a thousand years. Hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, the fuck? <laughs> We're talking BC today, you guys. <laughs> I'm terribly bad at math. <laughs> Me too, but I was like, no way, that was like 200 years ago. Because when I was on Ancestry.com, it said that like my great-great-grandma was... Born in 18-something, and I know she didn't live to be 2,000 years old. (laughs) Okay, so her mother was Frances Fagan, and her father was William. Uh, He passed away four months before she was born due to measles. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking a little bit about Frances, her mom. She had two kids before she had Mary. One of them was named Benjamin Franklin Fagan and Ollie. Not the Ben Franklin that, what, invented the light bulb? Not that one. Or was that Einstein? I think that Benjamin. No, Ben Franklin was the one with the key on the kite. I thought Benjamin Franklin was a president. Maybe he was a president. I know Ben Franklin was an important person, though. I gotta find out who's Ben Franklin. Yeah, because he's on a dollar bill. Or not dollar. I think he's on the he was He was one of the founding fathers. Oh. So, uh, he was a writer, scientist, inventor, 
statesman, diplomat, uh, printer, publisher, philosopher. Anytime, anytime I think of founding fathers, I immediately go to the purge and it freaks me out. Yeah, same. <laughs> okay, and she had a girl named Ollie Mae Fagan. Which, Ollie Mae is an adorable name. I was just going to say, <laughs> I love that name, Ollie. Ollie's the first name, and then Mae is, like, middle name. And it's M-A-E. Fancy. <laughs> so cute. Um, before her husband died, they were a farming family. However, this was, like, late 1800s and early 1900s. So the world was a mess, and everyone was sexist and racist. And being a single mother was, like, super hard. Very hard. Yes. It was a full-time job. Yeah, so she had to move her family to Atlanta, Georgia, where she ran a boarding house to make ends meet. Uh, They were still struggling, so the kids got jobs at nearby factories and mills and stuff. There were no child labor laws or even, like, safety standards for workers back then, so the jobs were... they worked children hard back then. Yeah, the jobs were dangerous, and a lot of people got injured or had, like, lifelong medical issues from breathing harsh chemicals most kids worked 11 hour shifts five to six days a week i don't even work 11 hour shifts as an adult yeah that's i mean i know some people do work like 12 hour shifts but i could never five to six days a week as a kid though like that's that's a lot bye-bye childhood jeez Um, play with rocks francis did remarry in 1912 to a man named william john coleman I couldn't find much on him. Everywhere pretty much just said he was a good guy. He sounds nice. Yeah, he's just a good guy, a good family man. Like, yes, tip daddy. All right, Mary was known as, like, pretty and cheerful. And, the, like, she was a girl that always followed her mom's rule. Like, all of her mom's rules. She was, like, a people pleaser, kind of. Like, very to the books. Yeah, See, good girl. You're a good girl. No good You want a water wedding in a hand you can hold. Like every good girl does. Does she want a fairy tale ending and somebody to love? Probably, but she doesn't get it. Oh. Uh, Mary left school at the age of 10 to find work. The fir- First, she worked at a paper manufacturer part time. And then in 1912, she got a job at the pencil factory, working 55 hours per week and getting 10 cents an hour. (laughs) Her job was to run the machine that put the erasers into, like, the metal band that's on the top of a pencil. That sounds like a terrible job. It does. And normally I would just say she worked at a pencil factory, but, like, the metal thing comes up later. So we... I had to specify that. She uses the metal. Yes. The metal is an essential part of her job. (laughs) All right. The factory had the main floor, which was like the first floor, and they had a second floor and the basement. And her job with the eraser thing was on the second floor, so like top of the building. You kind of get in the layout, which again will be important later. Remember that. Yes, so on April 21st, 1913, she was laid off due to a shortage in the metal material that went around the eraser. So on April 26th, she went to pick up her paycheck and did not come home that night. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so she, basically a week after she was laid off, she came back and she was like, hey, where's my paycheck for the last week, you know? I want my money. Yeah, where's my last check, basically? And they said... Mm-hmm. Which she would have gotten, like, I'm not going to do math, but, like, a $10 check. 
Hey, back then <laughs> it was probably a, a good amount of money. Yeah. I mean, you used to be able to buy things for like a nickel. Good luck if you find anything for a nickel these days. Yeah. I wish. Even Laffy Taffy's went up. Yeah. They used to be like 20 cents a stick, and now they're like 35 cents a stick. Mm-hmm. For the Laffy Taffy's that I would shake and sing, girl, shake the Laffy Taffy. Shake the Laffy Taffy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so since this case is like super old, from like 1912, the forensics on it are a little iffy. We're going to talk about them anyways. But she was believed to be killed on the 26th from about 11.30 p.m. to 12.15 a.m. Okay, this is future Kenzie. I messed up on the times that I just said. She was believed to have been killed from 12.30 a.m. to 12.15 p.m. Um, on April 27th, 1913, around 3.15 a.m. is when that Newt Lee was heading to the basement to use the colored bathrooms. Used or cleaned? One, I've read two. both on different sources. Some Maybe say he both. was cleaning because he was like a janitor person. Yeah. Took a piss and then decided to clean when he was down there? Yeah, probably. But anyways, he discovered the body of Mary near the incinerator. Which, even that word sounds terrifying. Incinerator? The incinerator. (laughs) The basement was trashed. It was often where they threw things just to get them out of the way. It was like dirt floor basement, basically. Isn't that that what basements are supposed to be for? Yeah. Shit you don't look at every day and just want to store away? I have a corner in my basement that's, like, dedicated to that. Plus under our steps. You mean the one that was singing at me? (laughs) That's under the steps. (laughs) Yeah, there's a ghost here. And he wants to play. He's fine. (laughs) Okay, so Newt tried to call for Leo. We'll get into in a second. But he didn't answer, and he went to the police and led them to her body. So, like, I don't know why he couldn't call the police, but, like, he just, like, went to the police and, like, brought them to her. I don't know if it was, like, a time thing back then. I think we talked about this last time where, like, phones were kind of in use. Like, the rich people had them. Yeah. Poor people didn't really have them. Like, I don't know. Or maybe, like, what they meant was, like, he called the police after but then had to go get them to bring to the basement. Maybe. I don't know. Who, Who knows? Yeah. It's hard with, like, stories from this long ago because most of it you have to rely on, like, newspaper articles and... We know how. ...what very little legal document there is. Yeah, and the press is always (laughs) stirring shit up left and right and making up shit and... Yeah. ...giving false news just for publicity. Yeah, so she was found with her dress around her waist and a piece of her petticoat that had been ripped off was, like, put around her neck. Uh, she clearly been beaten pretty badly. She had bruises and scratches on her face, and a seven-foot cord was wrapped around her neck. That was so... Sad. It was so tight that it cut a quarter of an inch into her neck. Ooh. Yeah, there were signs of rape. Her underwear was around her hips, but it had been, like, ripped in the middle of it, and she did have large amounts of blood around her pelvic area. Uh, she had a cut in the shape of an L on her dress showing one of her breasts. So, like, think about, like, cutting, like, in between your boobies and then underneath one so that, like, the fabric would fall, like, L-shaped. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Ow. Yeah. No, on the dress. Oh, just to like on the show dress. her booby. Oh. Mm-hmm. She had also it's been booby flap pissed on. <sighs> yeah. In there. And the autopsy report said that she had cuts on her face. Um, they were not bleeding, so they were probably done after her heart had stopped beating. So this was like very over the top brutal. <laughs> they must have had something against her. Yep. Police looked around the factory for more evidence, and they found a ramp that went to a service door, and the door had been tampered with, so it it was unable to lock. Near the door, they found, like, a bloody metal pipe and bloody fingerprints. Um, The police did mishandle evidence, so it was really hard to investigate and, like, figure it out. But, like, I'm guessing... a lot of cases back in that time. Yeah, I'm guessing, like... The door, though, I'm assuming it was, like, deadbolt style, and they probably made it so when you spin the thing to, like, when you turn the lock to lock yeah. it, the internal mechanism didn't go through to keep the door from opening, you know? Yeah. I'm guessing that's what they mean, because they said that you could lock it, but it didn't prevent Actually. the door from opening, yeah. Which it might end up being irrelevant. Who <laughs> knows? They found drag marks, like markings on their dirt floor, from the shaft of the elevator to where her body was. So she had been drugged, but there were no footprints. So I'm guessing person was walking backwards, pulling Mary in so front of them. So that way it would cover up their footprints. Yep. Because there's no way a body just drags by itself. <laughs> That'd be some, like, paranormal shit. Yeah. In a pile of rubbish, the police found two notes that are known as the murder notes. Ooh. Um, I'm not even going to try to read them because they're hard to read because whoever wrote them was, like, very uneducated and they spelt, like, the word wood with two O's instead of, like, the L. And it it's hard to read, but basically the notes are trying to point fingers at an African-American, like, clearly. <laughs> they're, they're not very nice. They use some no. harsh slang and, and like, who is spelled H-O-O, and, like, we'll get into a Unless little bit of those. Unless they later. purposely did that to make it seem like they were uneducated. That's which is a, what I was thinking. Because, I mean, yes, some people were uneducated like that, but... They were clearly trying to pin this, like, based on the notes, they were trying to pin this on Newt, who was with the police in the basement when they were read out loud, and he was obviously like, oh, hold up, I didn't do this. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know who wrote those notes. Like, hang on, back up. Like. So they arrested Newt, and he was looked into... A little bit, but he was basically like, check out this Jim Connolly dude. Um, he was another janitor person. Which could be him trying to point the blame. Yes. But. Um, this Jim Connolly dude was known for being a drunk, and the police let Newt go because it was they thought it was clear that the notes were trying to point at him. <laughs> So they were like, it's too obvious. You know, if 
if Newt had committed this crime, why would he literally write a note saying that it was me, <laughs> basically? Right. <laughs> and, I mean, you never really know in the mind of a killer. Like, exactly. He could have been just to add to his story. You know, he's like, what if I write this note that points to it being me and then I just deny it and then it looks like it wasn't even me and then I'm trying to be, like, accused of it, but I wasn't, quotations, wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, I... He was either really smart and, like, got away with murder, or he was actually just... Being pinned. Yeah. Because if he did fake the spelling and the notes and all that, then, like, that is kind of genius. Yeah. It wouldn't go by today, because obviously, you know, they could have checked for fingerprints, they could have... They can analyze your handwriting, they... They've got all sorts of tests Yeah, nowadays. so don't go writing notes saying it was Kenzie that did this because... It obviously... Yeah. <laughs> they know. Okay, so the police looked into Jim Connolly, but he ended up shifting the blame onto another man who was <gasps> Leo Frank. Damn it, The Jewish Jill. supervisor of the factory. Oh, sure. Pointed so. to the Jew. It's not the white guy, it's the black guy. If it's not the black guy, it's the Jew. <laughs> yeah, but this isn't like Germany. This isn't like, <laughs> I was trying to think of the word. It's not like Germany. So it's a little bit different to be Jewish in the U.S. Because we clearly knew that like Hitler was wrong and he done fucked up. Oh, but they didn't know that they were wrong. No. Well, Hitler was like fucking insane. We did a whole series or whole episode on Dr. Mangala. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Whew. If you're into some fucked up stuff, you can go listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, evil Nazi doctor that performed experiments mostly on twin. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about Leo. Uh, Leo. He, he had a good family, and by most accounts, he was, like, a proper, respectable man. He graduated nice. from Cornell University in 1906, and he got his master's in engineering. Uh, he did an internship in Germany, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of that, and hey. when he got back to Atlanta, he got super, he got a superintendent job at the pencil factory. So superintendent and supervisor, I've seen both, I think they're the same thing back then? Something like that. I don't know. <laughs> So he married a lady by the name of Lucille, whose family actually built the first synagogue in Atlanta. Uh, like a Jewish place of worship, basically. Like a Jewish church, I think. Oh. They shared a home with Lucille's parents, and he became the president of the chapter... Okay. I'm going to try to pronounce this right. He became the president of the chapter Benibirth which is a Jewish organization founded in New York in 1843. It pursues educational, human, humanitarian, and cultural... Jesus, I can't pronounce big words today. Cultural activities and attempts to safeguard the rights and interests of Jewish people around the world. And he was known for it, like basically being an outstanding member of the Jewish community. Oh, well, I mean, that's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, he had a great job and was helping the community, and he loved his family. Life was going pretty good for him. Like, he was making dough, basically. Go Leo. Yeah. Get your dough on. Get your, get your dough on. 
Mm. <laughs> right, now we're going to go back to, like, the investigation. <laughs> so detectives obviously call Leo because of what this gym dude said. And they believed that he was the last person to see Mary alive. Uh, they said something tragic happened. The police said something tragic happened. And he needed to come to the morgue to identify the body. Leo didn't want to see a dead 13-year-old. <laughs> And asked if he could have some morning coffee first, and they told him no. That's a mood. Okay, hold up. Let me get my coffee first before I go in and see this shit, because it's gonna fuck me up. Yeah, but it also could have been seen the other way as, like, he's might be guilty, you know? Like, he doesn't want to see what he's done. So he's trying to make an excuse to go out Yep. There. But the morning coffee, though, <laughs> I would have been like... You stay here, and I will go get your coffee. So I started, when I started typing this up, I knew very little about the story, and I was basically under the impression that Leah was 100% innocent, which by the end of this, I wasn't 100% convinced. Like, I, I shouldn't have gone into it thinking, like, he definitely did this. Like, I shouldn't have been biased, but... Damn it, it definitely taught me a lesson. <laughs> like, oh, because, you know, by the end of it, I'm kind of like, I don't know who did this. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so Detective Black, who I'm pretty sure comes up later in the story. I think it's this detective. One of the detectives I'm talking about comes back later in the story. It's this whole thing. So Detective Black took him to the crime scene first instead of seeing the body. I don't know how that got mixed up. But he went to the crime scene um, where Detective Rogers... <laughs> Known as Boots. Boots! <laughs> like Puss in Boots. <laughs> I went to Dora. <laughs> Described how her body was found in very disgusting detail. Like super oh. early in the morning hearing all that. Yeah, they said that Gotta he looked the morning nervous. Coffee. Well, the fact that he'd go so... into that much detail, though, was a little bit concerning. Yeah, I... I mean, like, how are you supposed to look when you hear about how her body was found? Right. I, I mean, would. I would probably be like, I don't know what my face would be doing, but it would. It would be doing something other than my usual resting bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's gonna shock you so much that that image is gonna be burned into your brain. So I mean, there yeah. is, you know, remembering every single little detail. Because I mean, there's things that. I remember that, like, I can remember every single little detail because it just, like, zapped my brain of that image and it'll never go away. Yeah. So it's like he could be having that look because what the detective is saying is bringing back, you know, like, flashbacks of what he did the night before. Or it could be, oh my god, I haven't even had my coffee yet and this guy is talking about this brutal crime. Like, I don't know. If I haven't had my coffee and somebody started telling me all that shit, I'd be in, like, I'd be shitting my pants. Exactly. Be like, damn, I don't even need my coffee today. I got my poop in. It's just weird that they made a big point on him looking nervous. Like, I, yeah. I mean, regardless of the situation, no matter if you did it or if you didn't, I feel like you're going to be nervous when you're involved in a murder. Yeah, especially if it took place where 
he's pretty high up in this like pencil factory company. Yeah. So like this could be a whole career fuckery yeah. for him. Yeah. So he's probably thinking, if he didn't do this, how is this gonna affect the business? Am I gonna get demoted? Yeah. Am I gonna get fired? Like Is my factory gonna shut down? Like Yeah. And back then they didn't really do a great job at keeping things private when they did an no. investigation. So now no. <laughs> his name by morning, I'm guessing, is going to be all over the place. So now the pencil factory is probably going to have to end up firing him because if he's working there, then they're like, oh my God, this. some people are going to think that he actually killed the child. Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Now we're going to lose bad. workers. Yep. And buyers and mm-hmm. bad for business. Terrible for business. So I get why he could look nervous, but then again, maybe he did kill her. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay, then he asked if Mary worked there, and he said, quote, I don't know many of the girls that work here, but I can look at my payroll and see. The statement the the detectives thought was very incriminating, and Mary would have, like, picked up her paycheck the day before. So, like, I don't know, like, yeah, there's a lot of workers that were there, so maybe he really did have to look at payroll and be like, do I know a Mary Fagan? Or maybe it was, like, a cover, like, oh, I don't even know this girl. That's a really hard one. Like, (laughs) if you have so many workers, you know, it is, like, even at, you know, the place I work now, there's a bunch of people that are like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Exactly. But then again, if it is a cover-up, I could see somebody going, well... I don't even know who that is. Well, then they eventually took him to the morgue, where he said he might have recognized her from work, but he wasn't sure. He did have over 170 people that he gave paychecks to, and those are just the ones that are, like, documented, so, like, there could have been people working, like, under the table, you know, type of a thing. Yeah. So, I can see how he would mix her up, but I also, like, if he was just there the day before with her then that is a little suspicious. You would think you'd recognize her then. Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, yeah, that was a chick I literally saw yesterday. Yeah, so Leo had to give a statement to police on the day of the murder. Well, like, the what day. he did during the yes. day of the murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he went to the factory to do a little work around noon. A girl came up to his office to collect her pay, She asked if the sheet metal had been delivered yet, and he said no. After work, he had plans to go to a baseball game with his brother, but he canceled. He took his lunch around 1.30 and then came back around 3 p.m. and then went home in time for dinner. So... Sounds like the perfect little story. Yeah. uh, Police really only had the fact that he was nervous, and that's why he thought that he was guilty. Like, it's pretty much the only, like, concrete-ish thing they had. Except for, like, oh, he canceled the baseball game, which... I would look into that. A little suspicious, but, like... Ask for an alibi. Maybe he had a long day at work. You know, didn't want to go to the baseball game. Like, I've canceled plans after work plenty of times. Just too tired. Um, But this was not enough to arrest him, so they had to let Leo go. Leo also hired a private detective to look into the murders, and his name was Harry Scott. He told Harry to tell everything he learned to the police, which that seems like a really good, like, tally on his side. Like, yeah, tell everything you know to the police. Could also be a cover. 
Yeah. But little did Mr. Leo know that Harry was good friends with a man named John Black, who was the lead detective on the case. Ooh, that gets a little yes. messy. And Black was the one who was determined from the beginning that Leo was guilty. He was the one saying, like, oh, just because he looks nervous, he must have done it. So, that's already... Oh. <laughs> Ooh. That's gonna... Conflict of interest. Yes. <laughs> Damn, I am gassy today. <laughs> So when the police were interviewing Newt, the first guy we talked about with the letters were pinned on, he said Leo had called the factory around 6.30 p.m. to see how the factory was doing. And he didn't typically do this. After he was done with work, he usually did not call. He didn't... Which could just be a coincidence. Yeah. But it's also kind of concerning because, like... Yeah, because the police thought Leo had called to say, like, hey... Has anyone found a body in the basement? Basically, <laughs> you know? like, trying to figure things out, but being conspicuous at the same time. Yep, and this was, like, enough to get him arrested on May 8th, 1913. I mean, it's a little suspicious. So, I mean, like, these it days is. you probably couldn't get by with arresting somebody on that, but back then I feel like it's definitely enough to- Ten days after he was arrested, police got a call that said Jim was seen at the factory that day washing blood off of his shirt that Jim Connolly did we talked about earlier. Leo said he was not supposed to be there that day because he, that was like his day off. Um, Leo, why Mm -hmm. are you there then? (laughs) So police brought the Jimmy boy back in for more questioning. Jimmy boy. The Jimmy boy. Yeah. They took handwriting samples. Oh, they did have that back then. From both men, but they did not match to the letter. But I feel like they weren't as precise with they are that they are today. And it's very easy to fake handwriting. And even today, like, handwriting can't be... It can be submitted in court, but it's not like you can... Concrete evidence. Yeah, you can't base your whole case on that. Yeah. You need more. Because, like, me and you could have similar handwriting, and so we could both be suspects in something, you know, if... Mm -hmm. But then, you know, suspect three could have also similar handwriting, and it could not be us. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Ow! Jim claimed that he was illiterate. However, police called bullshit when they found some letters he had written while in jail. They looked at the letters and they matched Jim's handwriting to the letters at the crime scene. So more than likely, he... fucked up his handwriting on purpose when submitting a sample to the police. It's possible. Yeah, He did confess to writing one of the letters, but of course he had an excuse for that. Oh, of course. Under oath, Jim said Leo gave Mary her pay and then she asked about the medal. But his, in his story, Leo said, I don't know. And originally, Leo had said she, he said no, and like Mary left. But in Jim's story, Leo said, I don't know, and took Mary to the metal room to check. 
While in the room, Leo tried to get Mary to do things she did not want to do, so he raped her. And while raping her, he hit her in the head so hard it knocked her out. He panicked and decided to strangle her. Oh. Is what Jim said. Um, Jim also said, once Leo came out, he told him, quote, I wanted to be with this little girl and she refused me. I struck her and I guess I struck her too hard. She fell, hit her head against something. I don't know what to do. Or I don't know how bad she got hurt. (laughs) Hurt. Hurt. She got hurt. Of course, you know, I ain't built like other men. Leo was 5'7 and weighed 145 pounds-ish. He was not much bigger than Mary. And he apparently gave Jim $200 to move and position her body. And that's why his handwriting matched. I mean, that can also explain the drag marks. Yeah, so he was paid to cover it up. Because it happened in, like, the top floor. Pushed her down the elevator shaft. Body lands. Jim then drags. Yeah. Could have happened. Also could be Jim trying to pin this on Leo. Someone else. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the trial. Leo's trial began on July 24th, 1913. Over 20 women came and said that Leo had made inappropriate sexual advances towards them at work. And that's why they quit. Oh. Yes. It, I mean, it could also be retaliation for being laid off. Yep. And they were actually laid off and they didn't quit. I mean, how easy would it be to say, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks if you say this guy, like, did this. You know, yeah. back then there wasn't a lot of rules against that sort of thing. They weren't as strict on blackmail as they are today. <laughs> yeah. Jim called Leo two days after the murder and asked about his involvement. And Leo said, quote, if... You keep this up, we'll both go to hell. Oh, they're worried about hell. Not jail, just hell. I don't know. But then again, this is like Jim saying it, so it he could be making it up. They couldn't like record phone calls back then, I don't think. So I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Very weird. Uh, they believe the murder happened on the second floor, so the top floor, because there were red spots they thought were blood near Leo's office. Um, and they had the same cord that was found around her neck that was supplied on the second floor. However, the cord was also used on multiple floors of the factory, and some of the cords were even stored in the basement where she was found really hard to tell. (laughs) Yes. And if the murder happened on the second floor, why was the door tampered with to make it always unlock? Like, I... You know? So, like, was it the second floor, or was it, like... But her body dragged from the elevator shaft. But then again, was that, like... Is this gym dude actually super smart? Because he was known as, like, a creepy drunk. But, like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and this like, isn't even the fucked up part of the story. I mean, this whole thing's fucked up, but, like, there's more that, like, just twists. <laughs> that little twisty dude. Yes. That was my attempt at making a twist sound. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Leo's wife 
said that he drank a lot of whiskey the night of the murder. So when he got home, he was like getting himself drunk basically, which maybe stressful day at work, maybe killed a 13 year old. I mean, he was an alcoholic, so it must be, no, you know, the Jim norm. was the alcoholic. Leo, oh, this is Leo is the proper Jewish Okay, I thought supervisor. we were talking about Jim. Yeah. Well, then that is definitely a little suspicious if it's, like, out of the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Detective Boots said, quote, when we went down the elevator, the elevator smashed. Um, human excrement, basically, is what he's referring to. And then we continue the quote. You could smell it all around. It looked like an ordinary, healthy man's excrement. Which oh. I'm pretty sure is poop. You know, when, like, you die, your body releases Everything your bowel movement. Yes. <laughs> it releases the poos. He ain't got the muscles clenching it in there. Yeah, so they... Rolled down the elevator and squished human poop. Nice. Yes. Montine Stover went on stand and said that she also went to collect payment from him that day around noon, but he was not there, so she waited until about 12.15, which is when the coroner said she had died. I messed up my times in the beginning. Oh... I'll have future Kenzie record and, like, I'll insert it while <laughs> I'm editing. Just kidding. This is what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, Jim came on the stand as well and told them the same thing, that he had told police that he was paid to move a body from the second floor to the basement and write a letter blaming Newt. He also said he was going to burn her body later, which would explain why she was by the incinerator. A co-worker of Jim's said that there was no blood where Jim had said the murder had took place and all the blood in the basement. Like, there was all the blood was in the basement, basically. Yeah. Uh, His theory was that Jim killed Mary in the basement, and when he wrote the letter, he wanted to plant the murder on the elevator boy known as Snowball, but then his handwriting didn't match, so he needed to change his story. I mean, if the murder happened in the basement, then what? where did the drag marks come from? I don't know. It's getting all twisty already, but this isn't even the twisty part. <laughs> Damn it. He also added that he doesn't think Leo would have called down the like elevator shaft to Jim to come move the body at noon, basically, when the factory was full of workers. It's like an elevator shaft would obviously go past the first floors. Yeah. Or the first floor. There's only one more in between (laughs) the top and basement. First floor. So anyone on that first floor could have heard. I feel like if Leo had actually done that, then, like, he's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Like, even I know I wouldn't do that, and I'm not very bright sometimes. That he was one of the people that saw Jim washing his bloody t-shirt that day. Because, like, earlier I said that Jim was seen with the bloody t-shirt, and he was, like, washing it and stuff. Yeah. Jim said the reason there was blood on the second floor was that Leo had put... Or there was no blood on the second floor. It was that Leo had put down a cloth before killing her. But that also kind of contradicts with his first story of 
when he said that Leo said, I hit her over the head too hard. Yeah, because if you're just randomly hitting her on the head, like, you're not, you don't have a cloth laid down for Mm -hmm. that. That's kind of just a... And it's not like he was putting it down to hide DNA from fluids while raping her because there was no DNA back then. Yeah. So you wouldn't have taken that kind of, like, precaution. The only thing really would be like, oh, hey, this cloth is going to absorb the blood so it's less to clean up later, but... Like I said, if you're hitting her over the head so suddenly, like... Yeah, because he was like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. Jim, I'll give you 200 bucks if you take care of this for me. Like, yeah. he was really freaked out. I feel like he didn't plan it, so he wouldn't have put down a cloth. But then again, I don't know, maybe he did. And maybe acting panic. Maybe Jim was telling the truth and he was acting panicked. And, like, he... I don't know. Who the fuck knows? Yes. God. <sighs> Okay, it was about this time when a crowd formed outside the courthouse shouting, hang the Jew, so loud you could hear it inside their courtroom. Damn. The trial ended August 25th, and the jury deliberated for two hours, which is a very short amount of time, and came back with a guilty verdict. The judge sentenced him to death, and he was meant to die October 10th, 1913. Leo tried to appeal multiple times, all getting denied, but each time his appeal, or each time he appealed, his death day got like pushed back. So like, like this, yeah, we'll let you suffer a little longer. Yeah, this pissed a lot of people off though, like the people that were shooting, shooting, the people that were <laughs> shouting, "Hang the Jew." <sighs> On June twentieth, nineteen fifteen, so before he was put to death. Governor John Slatton, I think is how you say it, or Slayton? One of the two. Slatton or Satan? Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's okay. Satan. He changed his sentence to life in prison, and he was moved from Florton County Jail, Mill- Milledgeville State Prison Farm. Milledgeville. Oh. Yeah, Mill. Okay, so he was moved from the county jail. The Milledgeville State Prison Farm, basically. Okay, so now comes the twisty bit. Oh, no. So because he ended up getting life in prison and he didn't get killed like everyone wanted, it split the town in half, half wanting him to die while others didn't like the death penalty or thought he was innocent. Uh, It was in every newspaper and people were starting to get more and more pissed off and Leo knew he was not safe. No. Yeah, on July 18th, a fellow inmate cut Leo's throat. He survived the attack. When people heard about this, they got the bright idea to kill him, though. So, a group of 28 people... Like, hey, this guy's got a great idea. Why don't we just do it? Yeah. So, a group of 28 people from the community formed a vigilante group that they called the Knights of Mary Fagan. Oh, man. Yep. Some people in the mob were Joseph Mackie Brown, a former Mackie governor Brown. of Georgia, Eugene Herbert Clay, future president of Georgia Senate, Jeez. and E.P. Dops, the mayor of Martarina? Mar... Matrina? I think it's Martrina. I don't know. Very fancy word. It's a town. <laughs> Along with some townspeople were also obviously in the vigilante group. But it was run by, like, big, powerful men. Yeah. 
That's scary. And several sheriffs in the town. And you know when you got those important people involved that you're gonna get away with it because mm-hmm. they've got the power to. On August 16th, this angry mob rampaged the prison, but they were very smart about it. First, they cut the prison phone lines, and then they drained the gas from all prison vehicles and police cars. And they handcuffed the warden and kidnapped Leo from his cell. Damn. Yep. They tied him up and drove 172 miles to the Cobb family farm in Marietta, Georgia. That's what I was thinking of. Marietta, Georgia. What's what I meant to say earlier. Oh. Yes. Uh, They had lookouts along the whole route in case police followed. So, like, random cars that were, like, pulled over, people hiding in ditches. And they'd be like, yo, people are coming. And they would, like, you know, like, they had lookouts. Like, they were were prepared. Yeah. They they must have spent some time planning this out. Mm -hmm. Like, this is like some war battle type shit. While he was still tied up, he asked if he could write a letter to his wife they allowed him to do this, but then they realized the whole thing was in German, and he, obviously, they destroyed the letter because they thought he could have written, like, their names, and, like, they didn't want to be identified because they are like, big, powerful people, and, like, yeah. that's a scandal. He took off his wedding ring and asked them to give it to his wife. They hung a rope over a large oak tree and stood him on a table. He kept saying he was innocent, and then they pulled the table under his feet, and he hung, or they hung him, basically. Facing the direction of Mary's house. Which could have been on purpose, could have been an accident. I don't know. A little coincidental that it was like the exact direction of Mary's house. Oh, they probably did it on purpose. Probably. Soon, more people showed up because obviously they had heard about this happening. Like, oh, I got to see this. Uh Uh-huh. And they cut off pieces of his t-shirt as souvenirs. That's kind of terrifying honestly they took photos that were turned into postcards sold for 25 cents each at stores that's fucked up yep and they also started selling branches from the tree and pieces of the rope that he was hung with imagine like getting that passed down throughout your family and now somebody out there's been like hey i have this little piece of t-shirt from this dude that my mom helped hang back in whatever that would be on pod stars oh yeah (laughs) Definitely. Jim served one year because of his role in trying to cover up the murder. Like, if he was telling the truth that, like, he didn't write the letters, he got money for it. He ended up serving one year. Some of the same vigilante... Vigilante. 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 (laughs) Some of the same vigilante. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a coffee. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the same vigilante. My mouth just doesn't want to say that word. (laughs) Men gathered a few months later on Stone Mountain, Georgia, and created a new group. And what they created was basically the modern-day Ku Klux Klan. Oh. Which is, Leo was white. Put that out there. So was Mary. Um, As for Jim... Even though he only got one year, he was in prison on and off the rest of his life, mostly for assaulting many, many women. So that kind of makes me feel like Jim definitely had a part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, We're going to flash forward 69 years. 
Alonzo Mann. His last name was Mann. M-A-N-N, Alonzo Mann. Is he a man, though? Yes. He was literally on his deathbed, and he said he wanted to clear his conscience. Uh, He said that when he was 13, he worked at the factory as an office boy, and that day he saw Jim dragging Mary's limp body. And Jim said if Alonzo had told anyone, he would kill him, too. So when he got home, he told his parents, and they told him to keep quiet and not say anything. He also said that her clothes... Her clothing was intact, so he believes this is when she was unconscious. And he hmm. blamed himself for not calling for help. If she was just knocked out, she could have been saved. He's I given, feel like that must be, like... He was like, given a lie detector test. And even though those aren't, like, 100% accurate, it came back as he was telling the truth for the whole story that he said. And it would explain why he'd say it on his deathbed, because, like, hey, now he can't kill me, so here's this information I've been withholding my entire fucking life. Yep. Um, the case was cold for many years. They tried to reopen it and see if they could figure out who killed Mary. Um, one of them was District Attorney Paul Howard, who reopened the case with former Governor Roy Barnes. As a consultant, Roy said, quote, There's no doubt in my mind that will prove Leo Frank is not guilty. I think he might have had a part in it. Yeah. it's. But I don't think he necessarily did it. I don't know what to think about this. Cause like I said, I went into this so, like, headstrong that Leo was innocent and Jim did it. But, like, it could have been Jim, too. Like, what if Jim was telling the truth? Yeah, Jim. And, like, him or Leo initially started it. But then... Maybe his, like, future charges of, like, him assaulting women and stuff is just like, well, people are already think of me this way. It's like a trauma thing. Yeah. Like, I might as well just do it then because people already think that I'm doing it. Like, Yeah, there was a grand jury trial set up for some of the people involved in the lynching, but no charges were ever given, probably because some of the people on the jury were involved in the lynching. Yeah, <laughs> definitely could be a part of it. Um, Leo was actually given a, oh gosh, how do I say this? <laughs> posthumous? Pos- Pos- posthumous? I feel like it's posthumous. I think it is posthumous. Okay, so Leo was given a posthumous pardon, which is, like, a pardon after death. Because, like, no one was 100% sure if he was innocent or guilty, and, like, he did get hanged. And then, like, things were sold from his body, and, like, that's a lot to go through. Mm -hmm. Even when you're dead. Yeah, so that happened in 1986. So, like, years after. Uh, They said he, or they said that they didn't know if he did or, or not. And that the pardon was because they failed to protect him. And, like, technically when you're in jail, like, you're kind you're of You're supposed to be protected. under protection. Yeah. Um, even a lawyer of Jim's came out and said that he made a horrible mistake um, for helping convict an innocent man. Mary Fagan Keene, who was Mary's great-niece, said, quote, Leo Frank was a sexual pervert. So she thinks that Leo did it. That could just be a biased opinion, though. Yeah. But to this day, it's still kind of up in the air, and, like, no one really knows. I am kind of surprised that they didn't think Leo did it, though. Or not... I'm kind of surprised they thought that Leo did it and not Jim, because Jim was black. And in that time era, like... They accused the black people of everything. Yeah, like, it would have been very easy to get him convicted of the whole thing. 
people did it all the time but, with like people who didn't do something mm-hmm. and they were like, nope, he did it, so he's going to jail. Exactly. So I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that. They pinned it on Leo, who was an outstanding member of the Jewish community. So I. There must have been something, though, that made them think that Leo did it. That. Probably. They were so, like, firm on convicting him. I just can't believe how much they thought it through. To like go they, and kill him. They, they were like, we're going to cut the power. We're going to drain the gas. We got to get the You guys, under you're going to be the distractions. Yeah, like, they, they thought the shit through. They thought of every nook and cranny of this. I mean, if you had, like, a couple hundred people, you could probably do the same thing today. It would just take a lot more. Planning. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't do it. Unless it's for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also, like, security cameras today, so... Yeah, true. Be careful. Gotta be, like, I don't know. <laughs> GTA mode and go shoot out the cameras first with the silencers. I'm glad we finally got that one done with, though, because we originally were were gonna record it back in, like... I think it was, like, May. April or May. Yeah, April or May. And then we did record it, but we were sick, and it was echoey and sniffling and coughing, and it was a I mess. don't have a whole lot of stuff in my apartment, and you can hear, like, that my walls are super thin, so you can hear people coming in and out of the building and the children across the hall screaming. Yeah. And... Yeah... It was bad. Okay, so we're gonna do another kind of spookier one for our next episode that we'll hopefully put out while we're in Vegas. It's kind of just a bonus episode for you guys. Sorry we were gone for so long. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be a little bit shorter than most, I think, depending on how much we ramble. Yeah, you know us. We like to ramble. I'm also excited for Vegas. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm excited to go to that Zach's dude. I keep forgetting his last name. It starts with the B. He did the Ghost Hunter show, and then he did the Haunted Artifact show on Netflix. I'm going to go, I'm going to take us to his museum where he keeps all this haunted artifact stuff. We're going to go there while we're in Vegas, and then like take notes on our phone, and then come back and do a Haunted Artifacts episode with like personal experience from seeing the artifacts i'm excited for that me too so that'll be coming to you guys soon as well and then as always make sure you like subscribe and follow us on our platforms our instagram and facebook should be at the claw crypt or at claw crypt we have twitter you can follow us but twitter's hard to use like we said it's for old people I can't do Twitter. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, if you want to be in another spooky episode, like spooky stories episode, email us or email us if you want us to look into a certain case or anything like that. Our email is theclawcrypt at gmail.com. Do it. Bet you yeah. won't. Bye-bye. And deuces.